Every day, a small group of people are making quantum leaps forward, building wealth faster than most dream possible, almost like they have the Midas touch. On Breakaway Wealth, we'll unlock the secrets to breaking out of the herd, thinking big, and building wealth on your own terms. Now let's join our host, the founder of Create Tailwind and your abundance advocate, Jim Oliver. All right, welcome back. This is Jim Oliver, your host, and my guest today is Carrie Lutz. And Carrie, man, I'm really excited to have you on. I was reading all about you and your background. And so why don't you just give us a little bit about you and uh, how you got to where you're at today? Well, I'm a recovering attorney. I wanted to major in economics in college. I went to Pace University. The only problem was that uh, all of the uh, professors in the economics department were basically communists, and their biggest priority wasn't educating us about uh, how the real world works. They were trying to unionize the faculty. That was their uh, their goal. So me and them, we I'm an entrepreneur, fourth generation entrepreneur, and we just didn't see eye to eye. So that was the end of my major in economics. But from there, I went on to uh, go to law school, ran a number of businesses, mostly successful over the years. And then the crash came and I just didn't want to keep doing what I was doing. And I said, Hey, you know, I want to get it to a podcast and a website that deals with economic matters, not politics, et cetera. I know everybody will, it's much more popular to do politics. And being that I was an Austrian economist from uh, the age of 20, after seeing Milton Friedman's Milton and Rose Friedman's free to choose I had read uh, dozens of books on it. And, you know, basically, if you're not familiar with Austrian economics, the concept is simple. Free markets on their own will be much fairer and equitable, and everyone will prosper, as opposed to having government intervention, where government tries to, to do the right thing, and government winds up picking winners and losers, and not based on merit or ability to compete, but on who they know and their connections. And, you know, we've seen what's happened over the years in the U.S. as we've drifted from free markets to government-controlled markets. Every market that you look at that's messed up, that is dysfunctional, the government, for the most part, is behind it. Real estate, perfect example. The real estate bust of 08, 09 was purely government-induced. The student loan bubble, another example, purely laid at the feet of government. And then healthcare, another example, government taking control of a market, not knowing what the hell it's doing, not being able to tell the future. So under Austrian economics, is price is the ultimate data point. Price tells you everything. For a business person looking to buy or sell goods or services, it all comes down to price. And communicated in that price is the movement of millions and millions of people who are making decisions, driving prices up or down. And you see the markets that have been the freest of government intervention, technology, because government really doesn't understand technology, just go to any government office and you see their computers are 10, 20 years old. So they don't know how to control it. They don't know how to regulate it. And technology has done best which is why you buy a uh, 
43 inch flat screen TV or a 50 inch, 55 inch for a couple of hundred dollars, which mm -hmm. is cheaper than the tube TV that you and I probably grew up with the round tube RCA console cabinet that cost like $1,200 45 years ago. So that's an example of the market stepping up computers, all these things in technology. Now that's not to say that when you get into personal liberty issues that the big social media platforms don't need some form of uh, standards and regulation, not in how they run their business, but in how they choose to silence voices that they don't agree with, you know, that, but that's a different area. That's not government controlling technology. That's government acting as a referee, impartial referee. So the whole thing is what we've had in our country, arguably since world war one, but, definitely since World War II, is governmental intervention into markets and with the resulting uh, disasters that often occur. And that's not to say you're not going to have disasters in the free market. There are cycles, there are waves of speculation that take place. We just have to look at the history of bubbles. And there's a great site for that called thebubblebubble.com where you see all these uh, cycles that have started all these bubbles that have popped from tulip mania to the Kuwaiti stock exchange to U.S. real estate to Japanese real estate, and you, you see that it keeps on repeating and repeating. So the risk of uh, belaboring this, you know, government is the one person, uh, learned uh, hand, Judge Learned Hand once said, "The power to tax is the power to destroy," and if you leave it to the politicians, they'll destroy everything in their path in pursuit of their own power and all the accoutrements that come with it kind of echoed in um in the book the law as well quick really nice uh quick read about plundering and how government and legal plunder take happens to those every day something carrie that i think about when with what you just said is what has the government ever done that they've been successful at like the post office department <laughs> of education I mean, Social security. Yeah, I mean, is there anything? And so, but think about what they're telling these 20 and 30 year old people out there. And, you know, the guys that are in their 50s and 60s, they've been doing it since 1979 or 1980, but they're putting their money in a 401k that the government tells you how much they're going to tax you. Now, you would never, you've been in the investment world a lot. If I told you that, Hey, I was going to sell you some real estate, but, but I wouldn't tell you what the tax consequences of that real estate transaction would be is there any way or any that, that you would ever complete that transaction no the government gets to change the rules midstream and court cases have ruled that uh, you have no property rights in government uh, laws and regulations meaning they can't just out and out take your property you know just come there with guns and take your house without paying you for it but the point is if there's a regulation that you're relying upon and then they change the rules midstream, too bad. And we see this over and over and over again. You know, the government doesn't have to follow its own rules, its own laws. Specifically, members of Congress are often exempted from them. Just look at Obamacare, perfect example. They had Congress designated as a small business entity. So then they could pick their own plans. And, you know, they have the Cadillac of Cadillac plans. And totally the rest of us are, are left with how they uh, attempted to destroy the healthcare system. We have to deal with the higher premiums. 
longer wait times to go see doctors, and and higher prescription drug prices. So this is a perfect example where if the government would just leave it alone and get out. But the problem is once the government's in there, getting rid of them is real difficult. The last time I remember government voluntarily relinquishing power was, I think, during the 70s with the airline industry. We had the Civil Aeronautics Board or Bureau, you know, CAB it was called, and they basically wrote themselves out of existence. And after that, we had a boom in air travel that continues to this day where ticket prices went down. Arguably, I wouldn't say that the service improved, but right. a lot of that is because of government allowing these uh, these airlines to buy up all the other airlines and thereby reduce competition and service, but safety improved drastically due to technology. None of this was caused by the government. It was caused by the government getting out of the way. So when you see Trump rolling back regulations and he's just getting started, uh, if he gets a second term, we'll see whole departments just cease to exist. You know, some regulations are necessary. I'm not one that believes in anarchy. I believe that the government that governs best is that which governs least. Don't get involved in stuff until you absolutely have to. The fires in California, perfect example. Not so much the Malibu fire, but Mm -hmm. the uh, Northern California fire was due to government cutting back on, on the budget for this. Government owned forests are the worst managed forestry management forcing the logging industry the only private entity the only entity that really cares about the health of the forest is the logging industry now obviously we don't want them to clear cut we want them to plant trees to replace what they've taken but the logging industry has a vested interest in maintaining healthy forests the government is responding to environmental crazy people they don't do burn backs they don't uh, do fire breaks like they used to. They don't remove dead trees. And then we have massive fires that run out of control and can run for weeks on end and do billions of dollars of damage. It's a perfect example of the free market. Just don't be creating monuments and restricting road access to areas where you might have to put out fires. And healthy logging is the best thing for the forest, but they don't want to hear about that. They're more concerned about the spotted owl, which I don't really think is endangered, but they'd like to think it is. You know, it's funny that you say that because if they understood forestry and understood how you're trained or educated as a forester and you have a 40-year cycle of cutting and replanting and, Mm -hmm. and continually having health in your operation for the trees, then I think that if they were more educated, they would understand that. You know, you said that they don't ever, that the government never takes our property, but what they do do is like back in the 40s when they, I think it was the 40s or late 30s, now I can't remember the date, where they seized any physical gold. And I'm sure you're familiar with that, where the president of the United States sends out an order, if you have gold, turn it in. Now we're going to give you a certificate. I'm sure that certificate, Kerry, was 100% value of what that gold would have done over the next 30 years. Wrong. <laughs> but, but, you know, I always tell people I could win the election to become president right now. Here's my only platform. I'm going to seize all 401k qualified plan assets. I'm going to turn that balance, which is about, let's just say $20 trillion into a social security type of payout. Mm. 
right? And what am I like, going to do with that money? I'm going to yeah. pay off. Pay off the debt. Pay right? off the debt. Well, now, I have a better idea than that. Okay. All right. Great. So, uh, the U.S. government owns 45% of the state of California. Yeah. Sell off that 45% to the Chinese, whomever, to sell it off. Get the U.S. out of land management altogether because they're horrible at it. Right. Yeah. And, you know, that probably, probably that 45% is worth probably $45 trillion. Oh, the government has better. all these assets. Hey, and if we could sell the other part of California with it to the Chinese, so be it. Yeah, I'm don't good really with that need California anyway. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I'm being tongue in cheek here. But I know selling right. off the government owned lands, uh, Look, the country has developed the railroads. They got the land for free from the government, and that created a whole bunch of other inequities that ended with the wholesale bankruptcy of the railroad industry in the late 1800s. Another government intervention in the economy always has the same result. Venezuela, right? Yep. So, I mean, that's really what what it's about here. So. Every every government program that the government has tried to control us, and the government's a parasite, right? It needs a host. We're the host. And yeah. when they try to control us, it it's a loser. Have you ever, you know, a few years ago, I was in Washington, D.C., and I was amazed with the size of the building and it's for the Department of Education. <laughs> that I have no idea what they do. Oh, God, yeah. But it's That's one true. city block. It's got to be two, three, four stories um, tall, maybe taller. And I think there's thousands of people in there working in there every day doing what? Not mm-hmm. educating our children. I can tell you that much. Yeah. How much financial education do, do children get in this, in this country? I mean, you talk yeah. about economics, None. how many yeah. people even know what Austrian economic theory in, at all is about, mm-hmm. right? They don't know anything. No. So that's why and they then, stay in the herd and they go, well, we call this the reassuring lie, Carrie. is, you know, have you ever felt like in your life where, you know, it doesn't seem like I'm doing the right thing with my money, but everybody else is doing it. So if we're all going down, we're all going down together. You know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. that's the reassuring lie. The Austrian yeah. economics, the being an entrepreneur, breaking away from the herd is standing in what we call the inconvenient truth. Now, I'm not talking about Al Gore's inconvenient <laughs> truth, but... I'm talking about the inconvenient truth of you don't want entitlement. You want freedom. And we'll teach you. If you don't know, let's teach people how to take control of their lives and their money. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. That's, I had three kids. They went through the same high school. But my youngest, by the time he went through, they actually had a course in financial literacy, taught them how to balance a checkbook how to apply for a mortgage, credit cards, you know, how not to get into debt, all these things. And unfortunately, but this is a case, perfect example of something that they've effectively left to the private sector. But, you know, Anthony, the the problem is that the uh, big banks and the big financial institutions, they don't want you to be educated. Like I have a theory, you know, you go to get a reverse mortgage. That's where an elderly person, 65 or older, goes to take out a mortgage and they don't have to make monthly payments. And uh, once they either die or leave the home, the home gets sold off and the mortgage gets paid off. So it can result in a big lump sum distribution, but it was ripe with abuse. So the government requires these people to have like a two-hour class on reverse mortgages 
so that they understand that they're basically getting screwed. Yeah. Right. They basically f- understand the fees are big and you're getting screwed, but they go for it anyway because they want the money. Better to just sell the place and go to a smaller place, but they don't think of that. So if a, a 65 year old person is making a m- monumental financial decision and it could cost them, you know, a lot of equity in their home to do it. And yet a kid going to college might be taken on six figures of debt. It's by far the biggest transaction he or she has ever done in their lives. And there's no counseling requirement. I think they should have to take a week's worth of financial education before they can even think about taking that loan out. You know, I think they're actually being lied to, too, because I've got two children that have gone through this and one who's um, currently a junior or just I guess she's a senior now because I think classes are over. But if I asked her how much she's actually borrowing, she has no idea. Now, see, we have a thing in our program. I don't believe in paying 100 percent of anything for anybody. Right. And then I'm going to pay part of it. But part of it is she's going to pay part of it from her banking system and she has to pay that back. Right. So, but when I try to get an accounting, she says, well, they told me this, they told me that, and they don't want the parents involved. Right. You can't get any information because now they're 18. No. Hey, they're on their own. We want to just talk yeah. to them. We can manipulate right. them. They're not as, you know, they, they don't have the experience that we have to say, Hey, that's wait a minute. No, she's not going to live on three grand a year uh, just for food. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, we're not borrowing that money. Um, right. And, and they want to enslave you. And, yes. Um, the banks want to enslave you. The government wants to enslave you. And, you know, you can think that they don't, but they do. And sometimes when somebody says, Hey, what do you do? I say, I free slaves. I mean, they, they, (laughs) the right situation and they they look at me and, um, I, I tell people, look, if you, let's take a, um, you know, kind of the typical person, we're told that we're supposed to save 10% of what we earn. Right. That's what, Mm -hmm. that's what the, you know, mainstream knowledge would say my, right. my thing would be, you need to save as much as you can, right? As, mm-hmm. Hopefully it's more than 10%, but as long as you get it put to work, right? But mm-hmm. we're told to do that. But the average person pays 34 and a half cents of every dollar they earn net to interest. Yes. Okay. So okay. if you earn a dollar, 34 and a half cents goes to somebody else and 10 cents goes ultimately to you. Guess what? Mm-hmm. You're kind of a slave. Yeah, Jim, for sure. I mean, you know, uh, it's just a funny thing because uh, you look at the Patriots, uh, they were, the Boston Tea Party, I think, was about a 10% tax. Yeah. And in some ways, you look back at the uh, medieval serfs and they had it a, a better, you know, they were tied to the land, but they got to keep a larger percent of their crops than, uh, than we get to keep. If you uh, use that analogy, if our production whatever is crops, our productivity, we get to keep half of it or less really when you get down to it. So you got to find an exit from this, uh, a way to get out of it. And it's not easy. And, you know, Robert Kiyosaki talks about it. So having your own business is definitely one way to do it for sure. Right. I mean, yes, then you're no longer at the mercy of a time clock, but it's got challenges. Every way you talk about has challenges. I was always an entrepreneur. I've never been an employee in my life. And, uh, you know, were I to become, work with somebody else, another company, it would be like as a contractor so I can 
do my own hours, do my own time. And I think that's one of the key ways that you do it because having your own business provides you immense benefits that you can't get being a wage slave. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I tell people that too, Carrie, is from uh, when I got into the the workforce, really, uh, I guess I got into the workforce at 13. I was, uh, I had the paper routes and as a paper route, you're really not an employee because you're working for tips. You know, I mean, that's really where the money is. And, and how many houses can you deliver the paper? So I bought a moped so that I could do more than on my bicycle. And I wasn't, I wasn't old enough to ride the moped, but, uh, but I did anyway. So I've told people since I was 13 years old, I did have a job, a swing and a hammer in a, in a, in a, a casket factory for eight hours a day for a little while. And that was the only time I ever was an employee, but I've never had a paycheck be the same amount in 35 years or whatever it is, or more than that. And, and, and I'm, I'm okay with that. If I have a good week, I get paid. If I don't have a good week, I don't get paid. I mean, exactly. it's, I'm okay with that. But yeah. once you have the, that's a self-confidence thing that you have to educate yourself about. You can't be mm-hmm. afraid, you know, yeah. fear steals so many things from our lives, but the only thing that cures fear is action right? Mm-hmm. You just got to go do it. And once you jump in the river, you're not going to drown. You're going to make sure that you figure out a way to get to the other side. Um, and, and you're going to, and you're going to be fine, but it, it takes effort. Like you said, it's, it's scary for some people, but I've never known any difference. You've never known any difference. Wow. So if somebody was like sitting there in their, in their forties or fifties, or, I mean, it doesn't matter how old they are, twenties, thirties, and they wanted to break away. What's, what's some advice that you would give them? Well, you know, uh, always live beneath your means. And I've been guilty of not doing that most of my life. You know, always live beneath your means. So, therefore, because there will come a day when you're not able to earn your peak income anymore. And if you've been putting it away for those days, you're going to be a lot better off. A lot of these companies nowadays, even if you're an employee, you go to work for a Google, a Facebook, whatever. And they, they give you food, you know, right. Like there, they give you food and, you know, two, three meals a day. A lot of times they'll pay for your transportation on ride sharing on Uber or Lyft back and forth. Take advantage of every one of those benefits. You know, if I was doing it all over again, I would uh, brown bag it to to work, even though I own the company because I probably spent over a hundred thousand dollars on lunches in the past 40 plus years mm. easily. So there's just so many things you don't need to be doing that you do. You know, it's hard when you're young family, got kids, it's very hard to save then. But if you start saving before, like the second you get to college, the second you get your first job and you put that money away and you know, it will change your life uh, because you might be able to retire at 45 years old if you invest intelligently as well. And, you know, going back in time, I would have gotten much more into real estate. I've been into real estate my whole life, but, but not as my primary business. And, you know, it wasn't until I really understood about cap rates and profit, you know, all these things that uh, I realized, you know, well, it's a little too late, but I should have been doing uh, a lot more real estate. Yes, there are down cycles, 
I kind of got exposed through my parents to like the negative side of real estate investing, like self-managing properties in bad neighborhoods. It's not a good idea. Yeah, um, yeah. Always use management. In my opinion, you can self-manage single family homes in decent areas. I mean, that's what we teach people how to do. But uh, when you're talking about apartment buildings, uh, when you're talking about garden apartments or, you know, more than like a quad, then you got to look to be getting professional management because otherwise it becomes your job. And most of the parts of the job are not what you want to be doing all day. So yeah. it's better to use professional management. And it's so easy to come by now. Like, you know, these, uh, these managers, you just put out a query and 10 of them will be in touch with you very quickly. So, you, you know, know, I agree, I agree with you hundred percent. I've owned properties I've never seen Carrie, and that I just get a check every month. Property manager sends me a report. I mean, it's beautiful. I bought a lot of stuff in Southwest Florida. I'm sure you bought a lot of uh, real estate in Florida in, um, mm -hmm. for me, it was between 2009 and 2011. Oh, that was the time to be buying. Yeah. We were buying everything we could get our right. hands on and, I kind of broke the Kiyosaki rule of, uh, you know, selling the goose that's laying the golden eggs because, you know, if you buy a property, let's say for, uh, you know, I bought one property for like 190 and sold it for 338 11 months later. It's just hard to, to pass that up, you know, when somebody's mm -hmm. offering you something that, by the way, I've never, you know, we, we didn't even see that property. It was just, mm -hmm. it was just a transaction. We yeah. really had no money yeah. in it. Right. I used my infinite banking system. So I got to use mm -hmm. the insurance company's money uh, to buy it. And then 11 months later paid it off. So I, I, the only money I had in it was the interest from that loan for 11 months. Right. You know, uh -huh. my, my, my rate of return, it was astronomical, but you know, the, and I really like Florida because I love renters that are 75 years old and older. Yeah. Uh, because they don't, if, if they break things, you know what they do? They go down to Ace Hardware and, and yeah. they fix it. Yeah, well, that's one of the things with self-management. You have to get a really good tenant and become a partner with the tenant in your property. Yeah. They have an interest in maintaining it because they're living there. And you have an interest in maintaining it because you own it. And it's like, hey, you know what? Like for Christmas time, go over to uh, Amazon, order them up some new towel racks and a couple of light fixtures and a fan. All right. It'll cost you all of 150 bucks. Yeah. And then let them have them installed and they'll be thrilled, you yeah. know, because it improves their quality of life. Hey, if the uh, dishwasher, the oven is looking a little grungy, buy them a new oven for 400 bucks. You know, yeah. it's the little things like that that will keep those people in those properties forever. And also when stuff happens, little stuff breaks, you know, Say, uh, oh, the doorknob broke to the, uh, you know, garage door. Say, can you fix it? Yeah, I could fix it. I said, all right, uh, take a picture of the thing. I'll send you out a new one and just put it on there for me. And I'll deduct 50 bucks from your rent. Sound good? Yeah. And that's how you do it. And, you know, make your tenants self-reliant. You'll underwrite the cost of the repair. They just have to get it done. So that, you know what, that could save you two, three hours of work. Finding a handyman, God forbid, in this day and age, they all have got more work than they know what to do with. It's aggravation. So it's common sense, but it's also 
relationships. You should be, your business relationships shouldn't be any different than your personal relationships in terms of integrity, respect, and consideration for your tenant or whomever it is. You know, it's kind of the golden rule, but it really does work. Absolutely. So, Kerry, tell me about the Financial Survival Network. Yeah, well, I kind of started it. Um, I always wanted to be in the radio, but I realized that uh, back then you needed a license, an FCC license, just to talk like we're doing now, except right. to be on a, a signal being broadcast. Then they got rid of that. But I realized, you know, I had started a little too late. My speech teacher, first day of college, said, oh, you have a beautiful voice. You should be on the radio. And I said, how much does a radio guy make? And then it was 12500 I said, eh, I think I'll go in the family business. But it always stuck in my mind. And, you know, then after the crash, I didn't really want to do what I was doing. And I was listening to these podcasts a lot more than I do now, quite honestly. I just don't have the time that I used to because I drove a lot more. So I'd listen to 510 podcasts a day back and forth to work and between the two and, and in work, you know, in the background. So I said, you know, how hard can it be to do a podcast? And uh, that's always, anytime you say, how hard can it be? You better brace yourself for the consequences because you're, you're starting down a journey. You ever watch that show, Top Gear, the English car show? Yeah. Jeremy Clarkson always says, how hard can it be to pave a road in 24 hours? And of course, it's a lot harder than you think. How hard can it be to make an amphibious vehicle across the English Channel, you know? So uh, I asked that question and I decided, well, it's not that hard. And I started doing a radio show on regular terrestrial. One thing led to the next. And then, you know, tens of thousands of people started tuning into my show every month to hear what I had to say. It was way more than I ever expected. And I still get a, a rush out of it. You know, average episode, five to 10,000 downloads. And sometimes it's even more. I've had a couple of my shows go viral, 100,000 plus downloads, which is still don't quite understand why, but they did. And it's just nothing else I really wanted to be doing than what I'm doing now. It's the, it's the ultimate rush. That's awesome. That's awesome. So financialsurvivalnetwork.com, is that the website? That's it. You got it. A lot of great information on there. Carrie, really appreciate. Oh, there's one question I forgot to ask you. I like to ask if you could recommend only one book. What book do you recommend to people? Ooh, gee, that's, that's a tough one. I've read thousands of books in my life, listened to almost a thousand audio books. And, you know, there's like, you can't just read one book. And all books are derivative. Yeah. All books are derivative. You know, they all come from all the knowledge. You know, every book, very rare to have a new book, uh, that's totally earth shattering, earth breaking. It just doesn't happen. Um, you know, I felt like free to choose was really yeah. an incredible book because written at a level that any semi-literate human being can understand. And the concepts there really tie back to the declaration of independence, the constitution. They're so connected. Um, uh, and, and we get away from those concepts. So, for sure, that book, I think, is must-reading. I read Human Action by Ludwig von Mises. I yep. needed a dictionary. They didn't have, like, you couldn't just have online dictionaries then. 
but you can, you'll never be able to get through it. I barely got through it and I didn't really know what I read even afterwards. Uh, very difficult, but there's a lot of books that interpret what he said. Um, a couple of books by Benjamin Graham, who is the father of modern securities analysis. His Buffett used his techniques to make his tens of billions. I think that's a great one. And then I just love biographies of significant people. Benjamin Franklin's biography. I mean, I can't say just one book. I know you asked me for one, but oh, no, that's so I, many. Yeah, no, that's it. When somebody struggles to tell me one book, then I, I wonder because, but you, you could probably, it sounds like list me off 10 or 20 significant books or more. Uh, oh, yeah. But I, but I like what you said because I read I read a lot too. I when I was eighteen, somebody said to me, "If you read an hour a day, you'll be way ahead of everybody else." So I tried to tried to do that my whole life is read at least an hour a day. And when you read about financial literacy, real estate, whatever you want, I'm being an entrepreneur, what whatever it is, you will become an expert over time. I know a lot more about it than everyone or most other people out there, and. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a participatory sport, our lives, and um, to try to make it not that and try to make it a couch potato experience is not what you want. It's awful. That comes back to Austrian economics and and, and freedom. So I'm really glad for uh, for you to share your time today. I know you're a busy guy, and um, I'm going to try to learn some stuff from you about how to do make improve our podcast because you've got a lot more experience with this than I do. So I appreciate the the tips that you gave me before the show. Um, but I just want to thank you very much. Uh, hope to have you back on sometime in the future to talk a little bit more about Austrian economics and the Financial Survival Network. Hey, love to. Hey, and if anybody has a question or comment, email me at kl at kerrylutz.com. You know, it's hard to keep up with the email. I usually go to an undisclosed coffee shop in the morning and uh, try to do it there. And fortunately, they're opening one up right around the corner from my house now. So I'll be able to walk there with the dog and answer the email. Some of them, I have so many good laughs from it. should always encourage your listeners and your viewers to write you because it really adds a lot to your life. And you affect people uh, in ways that you you can't even imagine. I don't want to say, oh, you're powerful and all this, you know, because I just think that's kind of silly. But what I will say is that you say things, people listen to what you say sometimes more than what you listen to, more than you, the way you listen to yourself. And, you know, it's really funny because, you know, you make a difference in people's lives doing this and, you know, really had a lot of fun. And thanks so much for having me on the show. It's great. Yeah, you're welcome, Carrie. And yeah, if anybody has any comments or wants to reach out to me personally, Jim Oliver at createtailwind.com, I will answer your email, I promise, and uh, answer any and every question that you have about infinite banking, breaking away, how to get started in real estate, and try to direct you to guys like Carrie that can help you and, and provide a lot of great material out there. The, the website, Carrie, is very impressive. There's a ton of information on there. You oh, yeah. can really get an education just going on that website and, and uh, <laughs> yeah. exploring for the next year or so. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, so. it's 6,000 plus episodes of the show. Jim, thank you so yeah. much. Thank you. It's an absolute pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Breakaway Wealth with your host, Jim Oliver. Do you want to become your own banker and build wealth on your terms? 
We'd love to help. Go to createtailwind.com to learn more and schedule your complimentary coaching session today. 